there are a number of different ways we can understand and hold the process and the framework that we are setting up and establishing here together. There's a very much a central emphasis in the meditative journey, the development of heart and mind in very specific forms and frameworks. And part of what supports and allows that is a a sense of sanctuary that we create together, a way in which we hold a space for each other. And we do that by a very conscious and collective undertaking of a certain cultural framework that is perhaps unfamiliar to many who would not have been to such a situation, to be together in silence, to respect solitude, to restrain our tendency to just engage with each other in ways we might otherwise do so. And that really allows us to stay with ourselves, to settle more deeply into our own experience and allow our simple presence to be support for each other. And this reflects very much to me the sense also of the traditional role and function of monasteries in traditional Asian countries, at least where I've traveled and been in Thailand and India, where the monasteries, as well as places of practice, become sanctuaries for people who maybe sometimes need somewhere to be. And uh, sometimes at IMS also we may have people with us who need somewhere to be and don't always easily find their way into the frames and the forms that we use. And so we seek to find a balance in relationship to that as to what's okay and can work within our frames and our forms. And uh, just wanted to name that because for sometimes some people it's difficult to stay within the framework and we really want to support and encourage that we all do so and also find some room for those where that's not easy. And that, that outer practice of creating a safe refuge is also very much how we work inwardly in finding space and accommodating those parts within ourselves that we don't find easy, that don't seem to fit into the, the culture we're seeking to establish within our own hearts and minds. And so, in that sense, we just want to, to let you know that we're aware that at least one member of our communities not managing entirely to stay within that framework. Um, and uh, we're attending as well as we can to what seem to be the needs there. Um, and if this doesn't resonate or you don't recognize anything from what I'm saying, that's really fine. Happy to hear it. And if it does, I hope that there's some reassurance in what I'm speaking without saying too much more than that. This person's not in the room right now. But uh, it's very much in my heart. And... Uh, and perhaps others too, equally as uh, in my mind at times. And that's sometimes what is needed, it seems, in a situation like this. So there's a a process of creating a sanctuary, a refuge, a, a place of safety and respect. And what this really allows us is to go deeply into our own experience, to 
enter into the sometimes uncharted waters of, of our heart, of our mind, of our life. The teachings that we've been orienting towards are really an invitation that we've been engaging with, are an invitation to include the totality of our life in the field, in the frame of a kindly, caring and interested attentiveness. A connection that is empathetic and yet also interested to understand what's going on here. In the beginning of the retreat, we give more emphasis to just landing, settling, stabilizing, and using the first of the foundations the Buddha suggested, body, kaya, kaya nupasana, attending to body, and breathing in the simple sensory experience that arises through the body, knowing it directly. As we start to settle a little into this, we have spoken about and invited the inclusion also of the feeling tone, hedonic tone, vedana, the quality of pleasant or unpleasant or neither that we encounter in our experience. Noticing how this is a key trigger or feature in the process of reactivity, conditioned reactivity arising. We start to pay attention to this, to include this. And we find a little more space around the reactivity when we can see the mechanism more clearly through which it arises. And we've spoken about, and this this is the second foundation of, of mindfulness the Buddha spoke of, and the third of of citta, the heart-mind, this resonant, feeling, sensitive, knowing, responsive, and also at times reactive field that becomes at times colored or flavored by our perceptions when we don't see them clearly, when we identify with them. And in this we can see that we're including more and more of the field of our experience. The fourth foundation of mindfulness, the fourth framework the Buddha invited us to give attention to, dhammas, is the field, and there are a range of different articulations of what this points to, but one way we can understand it is um, simply everything else that's not in the other three categories. And rather than trying to define precisely what that is or isn't, if we simply say it's everything else. In simple terms, it could be understood as the contents of the mind. What it is that arises in the citta, in the terms of thoughts and images, is the primary field there. Distinguishing that from attention to the quality or the condition of the citta, its state, we could say, to see what's actually in it and what tends to show up in it are thoughts and images. That's Sometimes we call that thinking. It's also connected with perceptions and perceiving. And with this territory, we enter into the some of the more subtle and yet important realms of 
contemplation. In the beginning of our practice, it's easy to imagine that the contents of our mind are the problem. The thinking, or the images and pictures that arise, as well as the storylines and the constructs, the conceptual constructs, are, are somehow the problem. But in fact, these can be noticed, seen, recognized for just what they are, phenomena arising, being known, without having to identify with them, cling on to them, without having to reject them or push them away. (coughs) When we begin our practice, and perhaps when we begin a retreat like this, the tendency is to very quickly take hold of the contents of the mind, to become lost in our reactions to it, or our identification with it, to very quickly assume we are the owner of this, or the producer of this, or the subject, as the Kinshana was speaking last night, to whom this is happening. When we look more clearly, we see it's simply a phenomena, something arising. An experience to which we have the opportunity to respond. And as we become more established in the body, it has less capacity in the, the bodily awareness and a present moment mindful attentiveness. The thinking process has less capacity to carry us away. It doesn't mean this never happens, but we're more able to see when it does, to see what is happening. And if we reflect upon this, we may notice that in fact thoughts, it's like bubbles in the mind. Sometimes they come in streams, sometimes there's just one that emerges and we can see it more clearly beginning to acknowledge and attend to the fact of thought and thinking, of content in the mind. Not so much involved with the particularity of what it's about or why it's there, but just noticing it. Thought is not the problem in practice. In fact, one Tibetan teacher once observed saying, You know, wisdom is just a wandering thought. Of course, so too is delusion. And the skill is being able to discern between the two. So the Buddha invites us in the attending to the contents of mind to know them as simply phenomena, but also to recognize those thoughts which represent or reflect wisdom. Thoughts that understand the the nature of experience and are aligned with how it is. And equally to recognize those thoughts which are not, that are born from misunderstanding. But initially, more useful is just knowing thought is thought.
And I have a particular thought I find rather useful for this. You can take this as perhaps an exercise. Just try this thought in your mind and see how it lands for you. It's just a thought. The moon is made of green cheese. Let's just run it through your mind. Notice how you can actually do that. Is it a problem that this thought has arisen? Is it something you feel you need to believe or disprove? It may be for you that that happens, but I find actually it's just completely a random collection of words that appears to say and mean something, but actually doesn't. When thoughts arise in our mind, we tend to give them significance. We tend to pick them up because we imagine they somehow are telling us who we are. Or establishing for us a model of how things are. And in that we give them more authority than they have. There's a way we can come to see the wisdom or otherwise of thinking or the content of the thoughts. By noticing how they resonate within us. Thoughts connected with truth and wisdom tend to have a quality of openness associated with them. Thoughts expressing reactivity and confusion tend to generate a tightening. Thoughts associated with the primary afflictions of the heart and mind, of of greed or ill will, they tend to produce a contraction. Whereas thoughts associated with kindness, with discernment, tend to evoke a sense of an opening. So even if the thought sounds kind of similar, like I would like, some chocolate cake. You might just notice. Is there a tightening? Is there a sense of opening? I would like to cultivate more friendliness. That too could come from a place of, of wisdom and compassion. It might, however, come from a judgmental place of, well, I shouldn't be as grumpy as I am. And you'll notice the feeling difference if you come into the body and check it out. The content doesn't tell us directly. Even articulations of the Buddha's teachings in our mind, which we might think, well, that's got to be wisdom. They may be connected with, as the Kinshina was speaking last night, with some attachment to view. And it's not uncommon to hear spiritual teachings articulated with a certain tightness that suggests this isn't actually wisdom. This is something that's been identified with and used as a construct for propping up my sense of who I am. So, there's a lot in that, as you can imagine. We're not suggesting you need to analyze and delineate every single thought from now onwards. But when you notice there's some stability, when there's some sense of spaciousness available to you, we can sometimes just notice the thinking process and perhaps turn the attention to see what's there. At times, if there's energy, if there's 
sort of stickiness, if there's a sense of momentum in the thinking, it generally means it's connected with some kind of emotional process. There's some charge involved. And it's useful again to come back into the body and just notice what that feels like. We might want to name the general territory of the thought. Oh, that's in the realm of judging. Or that's in the realm of appreciation. That's in the realm of future. That's in the realm of past. That's all about me. Oh, well that's going to cover most of them actually. (laughs) And then we notice those thoughts that are about what other people are thinking. You know, what are they thinking about me? Of course that's still actually about me. There was a wonderful observation about this that uh, some teacher once made, I don't know who it was, what other people think of you is none of your business. And a, a further observation, we would spend a lot less time thinking or worrying about what others thought of us if we knew how little time they spent doing it. Because just like ourselves, they're mostly thinking about themselves. And the kindest possible way to understand that this is kind of what we're interested in. So much of the time. So we notice the way the engagement with thinking creates or supports or contradicts some sense of identity for us. It's primary in that construction or central, maybe, rather than primary, in that construction of a sense and the maintaining, sustaining, and holding up of the construct of self. And so we see that these thoughts are to be acknowledged, but we don't have to take them to be self. As in, we see, we don't choose them, they come. Like, we have this receptive capacity, like a radio, and there's a station and the DJ's playing the same old tracks again and again. There's no real point in getting angry with the playlist. It's just what runs. But we can see, yeah, these songs I like, these songs not so useful. Okay, fine. Maybe when the song comes on that's speaking of something beautiful, we might want to care, pay attention, and just notice how it touches the heart. If the song comes on that's uh, encouraging or inciting sort of aggression, we might think, oh, actually, I don't think I want to listen to that particular performer. I don't have to turn the radio off right now, but I think I'll just go attend to something else. Might see what else is there, right here. So the realm of thinking is when we engage in with a sense of curiosity. I mean, it's kind of remarkable, isn't it? That these images and language, concepts, constructs, sentences, appears in the mind. Where do they come from? We've had so many of them in our life. Where have they gone? (coughs) Noticing the arising and the passing of thought. See, it emerges and dissolves again and again. Ultimately, thoughts are of the nature of things, just as all things, in fact, cannot help but be. 
And our practice is to understand them. To see their place, their benefits, their limitations. So we can use them when needed and release them when they're not supportive or helpful. And if that seems like a little bit more information or off opportunities than our practice requires right now, that's fine. It's really okay to stay with something more simple. I'm not suggesting you have to have some thoughts in order to observe them. I'm not suggesting that if you are experiencing thinking, you therefore have to prioritize that. But if it seems useful and possible, or perhaps the other way around, if it seems possible and useful to just take a moment to notice thinking, as thinking. It's not ours. It's not somebody else's. It's just arising. And it equally passes. It's not something we can get satisfaction from in any ultimate way. But nor does it provide or create in itself some ultimate obstacle. The tendency to pick it up as me or mine is the fundamental issue there. If we can just let it be, it tends to settle by itself. And so in the sitting, again, we begin with that conscious orientation to the body, to the felt sense of hereness and nowness, that this vibrating field of somatic experience reveals to us. And then you, and you're just settling into the contact with the earth, uprightness of body, beneath the sky, upright and yet relaxed. You could just take a moment as you feel your seat to just turn the attention for a moment to the space in which thoughts arise. And just as if you were waiting to see hmm, what might come. It's not unusual when we look intentionally to see not so much happens. It's when we're looking elsewhere it seems to gain more momentum. We might nonetheless feel the sense of potentiality, of possibility that is rich and ripe and into which life flows ongoingly, unstoppably. And learning to to settle into that intimate knowing, that caring curiosity that receives, that can hold and handle, that can soothe 
and savor what comes, be it challenging or delightful. And it's equally willing to be here for all those experiences which are not either, but simply ordinary experience. Resting in the, the living present. Open to all experience, but taking hold of none. Settling and centering the attention and body breathing when that seems needed and supportive for stability and groundedness. And when that sense of capacity and presence is more established, allowing the attention to be more fluid, still rooted in the body but expansive and receptive as sounds arise and pass amidst the silence, as thoughts emerge from the stillness and dissolve back into it. as the body vibrates and resonates with the pulse of life in its sweetness, in its rawness, in its suchness, just as it is. A conscious living sanctuary for life, which all is revered, cared for, breath by breath, moment by moment, receiving this life right here and now, just as it is. Awake. Open. Curious. just as you are.
it's very apparent to me that there's a, a real deepening. The quality of silence, of stillness, the, the very texture of our shared presence in this room, in this field, becomes palpably more still, more open. This is a, a precious and a, a blessed condition and situation we find ourselves in. Really in the heart of this retreat. With the days of practice, we've found our way to here. Not yet knocking on the door of the other end of the retreat. And if you notice any subtle or slight or not so subtle tendency to start wondering about that door, I would really invite and encourage you to, for now, let it be. Come back to here. Give yourself wholeheartedly, unconditionally to this. This that is here, that is now. In whatever moment we find ourselves, formal practice, sitting, walking, standing, in the yoga, the meals, the bathroom, the bedroom, transitioning from one thing to the next. What might we discover if we gave ourselves wholeheartedly and held nothing back? in our willingness to meet this moment, in our willingness to consciously inhabit this living present. One of my favorite characters from the sort of teachers of old, Rio Khan, just a few hundred years ago, a couple of hundred years ago, Zen monk in Japan, a hermit, poet, meditator, and sometimes playmate of the local children. Delightful character. A real simplicity to his depth. He once wrote, observed in a poem, he said, Do you want to know what has been in my heart since before the beginning of time? Just this. Just this. It's right here. It's not somewhere else. Just this. Please continue in your practice.
through this day. We will be concluding the cycle of group meetings.